Okay. In AI news, this just came out recently. You'll see this up behind me. I think it came out Friday. This is actually a website called AI News. If you didn't know, there is one. But it's out there all over the place. In this news article, it says, UMG files landmark lawsuit against AI developer Anthropic. I can't even say it. Let me read you the part of the lines that are in this article. You'll see the next one. Universal Music Group has filed a lawsuit against Anthropic, the developer of Claude AI, which most of you haven't heard of. This landmark case represents the first major legal battle where the music industry confronts AI, an AI developer, head-on. UMG, along with several other key industry players, including Concord Music Group, ABKCO, Worship Together Music, and Plaintiff Capital CMG, is seeking $75 million in damages. I cut out, probably lost my battery. It's probably a battery thing since it just quit. Nope. Still not on? Testing, one, two, three. You guys got me on sound back there? For whatever reason, the mic cut out. You can hear me? The problem, there, it's better. Problem is they don't hear it out there. Y'all can hear me coming out of the speakers now? No? Okay, well, I'll just be loud. And uh, we will be, those in the lobby won't hear it, but that's okay. <clears throat> I'm capable of being louder, so we'll work on that. And we'll figure out the microphone issue later. I'll make sure the connection's good. Connection is solid. And the wireless part is working? Testing. Okay. I don't know. Not making any noise. Yeah, all right. We'll troubleshoot it later and get through the message. How's that? Y'all hear me okay? Let me know. If, do this if you can't hear me and I'll go louder. So, yeah. That's one of our songs. So it's interesting, a Christian group is in this mix, but one of those things that I wanted to make it clear uh, on this particular thing is that, uh, let me get to the, uh, man, I'm, I'm full of issues today. Hold on a second. My notes are all confusing. In case you didn't know, this is a reminder. I have notes tucked in my Bible. So here we go. Got it. Next line. Here's some further down in the article. Anthropic, despite positioning itself as an AI safety and research company, stands accused of copyright infringement without regard for the law or the creative community whose works underpin its services according to the lawsuit. Now, it's a, this part is so interesting because this particular organization set itself up as the expert in AI technology to make sure everybody else is obeying the law. They got caught disobeying the law. So you can't exactly trust AI. Even the ones you think you can trust, you may not be able to trust. Other news. Here's a New York Post article that came out uh, very recently. I believe it was also on Friday. 
ex-CNN anchor Brian Shelter rips media's atrocious series of mistakes covering Gaza hospital blast. If you hadn't heard, here is what happened. Here's a line out of this, a couple of lines. Israel denied firing rockets at the hospital and blamed the incident on a misfired missile from the Hamas-backed terror group Islamic Jihad. However, outlets including CNN, the New York Times, and the Washington Post, arguably the biggest news outlets in America, which shapes the world, immediately ran with the statement from Hamas, terrorist-run health ministry in the Gaza Strip. So if you didn't get that, what that means is a terrorist organization put out a statement about this particular incident, and the New York Times, CNN, and the Washington Post all simply trusted the terrorist statement and put it out as fact even though Israel said, nope, this isn't true. They didn't listen to Israel. They listened to the terrorists and just pumped it out there. And now you see we've got all kinds of protests happening between whose side are you on? Because look what Israel did. They bombed a hospital and it turns out they didn't. I don't watch the news. I don't listen to the news. I read the news. And this is what has happened in this past week, which is extremely unfortunate, the past couple of weeks. So, not only can you not trust AI, you can't trust the biggest names in news. What a world we live in. Proverbs 3, 1 to 12, the title of the message is, Who Can Anyone Trust Anymore? Beyond Artificial Intelligence is our series we're going through. When things don't make sense, God's Word still does. Timeless wisdom from Proverbs and James, we're in Proverbs. I want to show you a little bit more news. And by the way, yeah, here you go. Screen addiction affects physical and mental health. Before we go much further, remind, I'll remind you, there's news in the lobby. If you haven't heard already, it's kind of cool. It impacts us. Um, the, if you don't know this, you can know now. I preach a message here on Sunday morning, and then I go and I preach it inside a prison also, where, as it turns out, this, we're having a revival, and that made the news. And those 55 baptisms that happened on Friday the 13th made the news. And so you were a part of that because you were praying about it because we were nothing was working right. And it all worked out, and I'm grateful that you were a part of that because you lifted it up in prayer. It wouldn't have happened without your prayer and I must tell you, the revival that's happening in one of our state prisons right now that is actually impacting all of the others because they're hearing about it and it's pumping them up. This revival that is impacting the staff inside the prison wouldn't be happening if you weren't my church family. And I wasn't able to come here and use a gift God's given me and share with you and then take that and do the same thing inside prison walls. So you are very much a part of bigger things than, than just what we do here. So thank you for that. Okay, so screen addiction affects physical and mental health. We already knew this, but I want to give you some specific information about that. Here's from this particular article that appeared in May or April or May of this year. 
All right, the next one. All right, screen addiction is a group of behaviors that are negative. Some negative outcomes that can happen when we use too much technology during our day. And you can read uh, further in this whole thing. It releases dopamine. Basically, it's akin to cocaine addiction is what this is. So they're, they're equating it to that. And if you look up screen addictions, what you're going to find is usually the number one hits in any type of search engine, it's going to pop up with, um, you're going to get an 800 number that can help you with your addiction problem. It's that serious. You put it in screen addiction, and it's just as bad as a methamphetamine addiction. It's an issue that's hitting our world in a crazy, crazy way. Look at this. This is from the same article, Screen Time and Kids. Here's how, how they advise us. Uh, screen time recommendations for children have shifted over the years. The most recent recommendations set these limits. Up to six months old, they should never see a screen, not a TV or any screen whatsoever. Stephanie and I have known couples that in order to calm their babies and toddlers down, they hand them their $1,000 phones. That's a brilliant idea. And of course, you know what babies are going to do. It's going to go to their mouth right away. So they have to buy another $1,000 phone shortly thereafter. And we've seen it happen over and over again. Six months to two years old use screen time only for interactive social play with an adult or to video chat with loved ones. Two to five years old, no more than one hour of screen time. And school-aged kids, no set limit. But parents should limit social media use and gaming. And the, if you read the article further and any other article that's done any research on the subject, you will learn the reason for these types of limits are because of what it does to people in training them. One of those things that you can also look up is what happens when people are distracted while driving. The state of Colorado recently put out a report that said that the number one cause of accidents in distract, distracted driving cases is using a cell phone while driving. But people do it all the time. Imagine how absurd the news story would be if you heard this, or maybe even not the news story. Imagine how absurd you would think this is if your house was on fire and you find out later the person who's supposed to rally the troops and get the firemen there to put out the fire in that moment was on his tablet and said, I'm in the middle of a video game and your house burned. That's absurd, right? It doesn't, you, somebody would get fired over that. Somebody's going to make a few million over that because it's absurd. But how many times do you see people on their screens Neglecting their family, neglecting people they love, neglecting responsibilities, because, hey, I'm right in the middle of this. I'm scrolling. And when kids don't learn parameters, they get stuck in a fantasy land and don't know how to come back to reality. We can't trust... Uh, 
our screens very much. I want to give you another, I'll give you, I've given this to you before. I'm going to recommend a book called Be the Parent, Please. This book gives us incredible facts on what happens to the developing brain in children. Children who are exposed to screen time, their brains do not develop properly. So take any child who you know is having a developing brain, you are limiting the brain development by putting a screen in front of them. If, and if you don't like this uncomfortable information, why don't you just read the facts for yourself? Here's a good book that will expose that to you. Better to not have the screen time. How many years did we see parents, instead of watching their children and, and guiding their children, just put a movie in, put it on the kids' channel. And this book exposes what is happening to the minds of children. Their brains are not developing because one of the reasons is we're exposing them to too much screen time. And we're causing addictions. Some more AI news. Some of you know about Dr. James Dobson. Well, if you happen to be a Christian and you click on Christian things on your smart screens, whatever they are, TV, tablet, cell phone, laptop, whatever it is, if you're clicking on your smart screen on a regular basis, Christian things, AI will kick in and go, oh, they like Christian things. And if somebody who develops the AI programming, which by the way, there's a whole lot of somebodies, if somebody develops the AI programming that happens to dislike Christians, would wish Christianity would just go away, they're going to have the clickbait that they want you to see. This person clicks on Christian things. Let's put things on there that undermine their beliefs. This says James Dobson walks away from the church, his reason why, on the air. That is going to get most Christians to click because most Christians know about James Dobson. Focus on the family. Have you not heard of this? People, are gonna, people that have been Christians for a while, they know about James Dobson. They're going to click. Click. And you click on this, and guess what you learn? You're going to learn, oh my goodness, James Dobson stepped away because he had so much pain, he couldn't find a solution for his pain. So now he is trying HTC. Does that shock you? And then if you go further, if you pay now, you can do three monthly installments and get yours. This is a scam that AI will put in front of you if you like Christian things. And you'll get sucked into it. But if you've been around long enough and you've known James Dobson, and we got to meet him. That was a cool thing. He's a tall man. But if you know him, you know this is not true. You, you know this is made up. By the time you get to the, if you do act now and do three monthly installments, you realize this is a scam. This is not real. But AI will mislead you. And AI is what controls what you see on your smart screens. So Proverbs 3, 1 to 12 is our text. Who can you... Who can anyone trust anymore? Some of us, you think about AI, like, okay, I, I know I can't trust social media. I, I know I can't trust my smart screen that AI is. I know this. You're not telling me anything new. 
I'm smart enough to realize this. But some of us also get in another trap where we've, we've, we've had broken trust, relationships, people. Not AI. I'm not talking about that right now. We've had broken trust. Some of us, it was a parent. Some of us, it was a mentor. Some of us, it was a TV preacher or a radio televangelist or a radio preacher or something, somebody we've lifted up and we just thought, this is an ideal person and they're a solid Christian and then they get caught up in some kind of scandal or they're accused of it and then you think, I don't know who I can trust anymore. Some of us have had very close friendships that have gone on for years, and then all of a sudden, it's over. Some of us, this happens and we don't know why. Some of us actually have been through where you have somebody that's so close that this person you love so much that you believe you would actually die for them if it helped them. You would do that if it took that. And then those people that you love that much turn around and try to cause you harm with their words, with their actions. And you just wonder, who do you trust? Some of us, it's been churches. We've been involved in churches and, and we've tithed and we've supported. We've served. We actively participated in so many things. And then all of a sudden, like, we didn't know that was going on. And you get, you get hurt and you think, I don't know who I can trust anymore. Some of us get very close to our Sunday school teacher or our preacher, our youth minister, our missionary or somebody. It could be me. You know, I, I feel blessed that you allow me to use a gift that God has given me. I'm grateful that you're my church family. And the reality is I make mistakes just like you. And, and maybe I could make a mistake that hurts one of you. And then you think, I don't even know if... I can trust him. So the question, who can anyone trust anymore? I think you might have some clarity with our text. Charles Swindoll said this, we must cease driving, striving and trust God to provide what he thinks is best. And in whatever time he chooses to make it available. But this kind of trusting doesn't come naturally. It's a spiritual crisis of the will in which we must choose to exercise faith. More on that as we move along into our text. Proverbs chapter 3, starting with verse 1. And by the way, I see it's reading behind me. You, you can get ahead of me. It's fine. There is a, there's a beautiful thing about today's text. It doesn't always happen in the Proverbs. It does happen throughout the Psalms. It does happen mostly through Ecclesiastes, definitely happens in Song of Solomon. But there's one of these things in the Hebrew writing, you don't see it come out in the English as much. But there's kind of a cadence that happens in the way it's written. So it's kind of a poetic writing that appears to have some sort of rhythm. So this could have been a song. Something that you would be able to remember. Maybe you've been through that where you've in, incidentally memorized a song because it had a, a thing that just caught your attention. 
And today is one of those that seems to be designed for people to have it, have it just automatically commit to memory because it just has a, a cadence to it. It doesn't come out in the English. Some of our translations do it in such a way where it's like in stanzas, so you kind of get the feel. But here's a crazy thing. Even though it doesn't really come out that well in the English, because of the nature of people and preachers, good preachers and solid teachers, we have all been taught. If you've been in church for any length of time, we've all been taught at least one part of this proverb that we kind of have committed to memory incidentally already. And you'll see it when we get to it. But it starts with these two verses, and now well, I'll get caught up with what you were reading behind me. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. It starts with my son. And don't force this. Don't, don't force into your mind that this is a father talking to a son because it's not necessarily forced with those first few words. It could be a mother saying, my son. I mean, we just heard, you know, that wisdom is personified as a woman. So take it either way, a matriarch or a patriarch, my son. But in contextually speaking, we'll, we'll talk about the father when that comes up a little bit more clearly in the text. Do not forget my teaching. So whoever your mentor is, that could come into mind when you think of this. But remember, Solomon was writing this, inspired by God, and that makes this scripture. So God the Father saying to us, Child of mine, don't forget what I teach you. Keep my commandments. And, he, and he's got this promise here that length of days and years of life and peace will be added to you. And you might say, well, I've known people who loved God and they kept his commandments and his teachings and they lived a short life. Yeah, but how long do you know that the, they were going to live? This says that you get more added. So trust God's word in that. I'm giving you a little bit of a precursor to the answer. But we'll move on to verse 3 and also verse 4 in this cadence. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. I want to first clarify, because you've got a footnote up behind me, you can see the word for success could be also translated repute. So you could be seen as successful or having a good reputation in God's eyes and man. It doesn't really change the meaning because that would be the same thing. If you're seen as successful or having a good reputation, they kind of go hand in hand, so it's okay. But let's go up to the top. Verse 3 at the beginning, let not steadfast love. Let's focus on that word, steadfast love. It's an interesting thing because what we hear frequently in churches for many years, we keep hearing about this thing called unconditional love. Have you heard this? You see it in books, you hear preachers talk about it, teachers write about it, authors write about it, teachers teach on it. 
this idea of unconditional love came out of a song by Donna Summer in 1983. It was a very popular song. And it was so popular that it wound up being taught by preachers and youth ministers around the world because it was a popular song. In fact, uh, I don't have this on the screen behind me, but Michael O. Martin was a very influential musician. Michael and Stormy O. o. Martin not only are, were musicians, but they're a couple that figured out how to stay together a long time. And so they wrote books on marriage as well. But M Michael Martin was such an influential guy. I don't know if you know who he was. You better get that. It might be the phone. Um, Michael O. Martin, m maybe you'll remember, now Rod Stewart is doing oldies right now. Rod Stewart went through a time when he sang in that song, uh, If You Think I'm Sexy. You remember that song? And then he, he wore leather pants, and this out-of-shape, skinny guy would uh, dance on stage and make most people want to puke uh, because <laughs> he wasn't sexy by any stretch. But anyway, he was having trouble after that kind of thing. Singing in concerts, he was struggling. So because of this, they looped in Michael O. Martin. Who was Michael O. Martin? Well, he was... He had become such an outstanding musician that he had helped Christopher Cross. Y'all remember Christopher Cross sailing that song, sailing from the 80s? Sailing became a huge hit, and it was kind of an anomaly because Christopher Cross was not good in concert. How many of you saw Christopher Cross in concert? It's because he didn't do very many. He was an overweight guy who sat in a chair and played a guitar and didn't really do concerts well. So they looped in Michael O. Martin for him so he could have such an excellent album, he would become a star without having great concerts. So then they thought, well, wait a minute. You know what, Rod Stewart, he's kind of bombing when it comes to in concert. So they brought in Michael O. Martin. And then what came out of that, if you don't know, Michael O. Martin was a Christian. He influenced uh, several people including Rod Stewart, who sang that song, Forever Young, which talked about the good Lord being with you. That's because of Michael O. Martin's influence. And his Christian influence influenced Donna Summer. He helped write that song. And he probably helped come up with the concept of unconditional love. But biblically, if you read... Romans 9 and John 15, that, that's not a good definition of God's love. It's a very bad definition. So let's make it go away from the screen up behind me. And let's use another word. How about this one? Unfailing love. You'll see this throughout the Old Testament. And sometimes it's instead of steadfast love, you'll see unfailing love. God's love is unfailing. That is a biblical definition. And he wants us to have this kind of love. He wants us, this is Old Testament stuff spilling over into the New Testament for sure. We're supposed to have the kind of love that does not let people down. Unfailing love. It's a godly love. And it's a good definition for agape we see in the New Testament. So when you hear unconditional love, in your own minds it might be good to replace this with unfailing love, love that has tenacity. 
All right, are you ready for this? Brace yourself. I told you. You have already incidentally committed a passage to memory. And here we are. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. How many of you think you already have, for the most part, this memorized? Raise your hand. Look at that. It's more than half the room. I'll read it again. This will help. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. It's fascinating that most of us already have this memorized. It's even more fascinating now that I've read it twice and you have it up behind me that those of us who didn't probably now do. We also just got the answer to the question. Who can we trust? Well, here you go. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. This means everything you've got, everything that you can wrap your emotions around, the center of your emotions, trust God. Because you see, God is so wise. He knows that we are going to wrap our emotions up around trust. It's not our brains that we wrap it around. It's our hearts. You see, when a trust is broken, you're not just thinking, hmm, check, that wasn't good. No trust there. It's not just that. Your heart's wrapped around it. If somebody breaks your trust, you feel it. It hurts. It takes you out for a while. Maybe at work, your performance isn't as good. Maybe you're distracted in the tasks at home. Maybe whatever, whatever it is you're going through in life, when, you're, when a trust is broken, what that means is there was trust. You gave somebody trust. You trusted them. And they blew it. And that hurts. God's solution is right here in the first line in this stanza. Trust in the Lord with all of your emotions. That is extraordinarily therapeutic. I just don't, I, you know, I went to church one time and, and uh, I, in fact, I went many years and then this thing happened and I just don't go anymore because of that. Why? Because you're hurt. I've got a, uh, a professor that's within the prison where I work. A professor who is clearly anti-God and anti-Christian. Here I am imposing myself on the break room with him. And for a time, the temperature inside this building, here's the way this works in this facility. They have an outside air handler. There's no air conditioning. They have heat, no air. And we had a couple of those days when summer tried to start, but then it backed up and didn't. Remember we got those, those days that were bumping up to 100 degrees. Y'all remember those days? And some of the days went over. That was kind of in the spring when that came. And what happens is in this facility, they take the outside air so that the air is cleaned all the time and they pump it into the building. So through the night, they're pumping in this, this, um, this clean air, but they're running it through a heater because they have heat. They don't have air. So you come in in the morning and it's 68 degrees. But as the temperature climbs outside, 
since they don't have air, they just pump in the air from outside thinking it's gotta be cooler. When it's 100 degrees outside, and then you pack a chapel with a couple hundred people that's got all glass and the sun's beating in, we are exceeding 100 degrees. And people start getting sick. <clears throat> and I finally communicated, because I'm from Louisiana. Trust me, there are some of you that are going to ask when it gets hot, how do you do that again? Because being in Louisiana, if you don't have air, there are ways to cool houses at church camp. I, I did this when we were in the cabins and it's a hot day. This is what you do. You take a fan, you blow it out, and on one end and the other end, you crack open the window and through the night, you make it, however cold it is outside, you just blow out that hot air and you suck in the cool air. That's the way you do it. And then, before the temperature outside starts to get warmer, you close everything up and trap the cold in. That's what you do. That, that works. So I, they have a full-time guy that works at this facility, this prison facility. His job is to control the temperatures. And I said, excuse me, but could you please do this? So we did. So we come in in these... Days that would be 100 degrees outside, we'd come in and it'd be like 50 inside the building. Whew, that's cold. We didn't know it was going to get that cold. So everybody knew that the new chaplain came in and did this. And so the teachers are dismissing their students because their, their fingers are turning purple because it's too cold to sit still in a classroom. And all the teachers were upset because the chaplain did this. And this particular professor told his whole class, it's the chaplain's fault He's the one that did this because he's got some kind of power. And then he developed the thing he started talking about. And if you guys believe in this kind of stupid stuff, you know, Christianity, you got to have some big beard in the sky. In case you don't know that, that was a personal insult to me. I represent some God figure. And this guy keeps doing this. And one day he was doing this and, um, in the break room. And he was attacking my faith in front of everybody. And I said, here's what I know about you. You have been hurt. And it disarmed him. And he said, I'm not going to argue with that. And he walked out. I'm telling you, people wrap their emotions around trust. And that's why God in his infinite wisdom says, Trust him with all your heart, all of your emotions. Trust him. Man is going to disappoint you. I'm going to disappoint you. Your spouse is going to disappoint you. Your parents are going to disappoint you. Your children are going to disappoint you. Trust will be broken because people are broken. But God will never betray your trust. If you want your heart to heal, wrap all your trust around that concept, wrap all your trust up in God because he will never, never betray your trust. Let that stew in you for a minute and maybe you'll start to feel some healing even today. And then he says, and do not lean on your own understanding. What's that about? Well, we think we are so smart. We think we can just figure it all out. And so many times we fumble and we fumble and we fumble. And then we go back to, I should have prayed from the start. 
Don't lean on your own understanding. Lean on God's. Well, what about this? This makes sense, and this makes sense. Well, God makes more sense than anything. So here's your answer. It's right here in this book because he's compiled life's plan for us. This is what you can trust. No matter what I say, no matter what anybody else says, you can trust the Lord and your own understanding. If you trust this, things will make better sense to you. Just keep trusting the Lord. In all your ways, acknowledge him in everything you do, and he will make straight your paths. If you ever feel like you don't know where you're supposed to go or where you're going, if you want some balance in your life, trust God. Acknowledge him in everything you do, and he'll make sure you're headed in the right direction. It's good stuff. Now, I do want to uh, move on to the next section. Verses 7 and 8. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be a healing. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Let's clarify the Hebrew words. Literally, flesh is translated as navel. Isn't that funny? You'll see that pop up. It, it kind of was, uh, it's an, a tongue-in-cheek thing I say when we drive by and see the exit signs, and I talk about it. Oh my goodness, they have a whole hospital just for belly buttons. It says so right on the sign, Naval Hospital, right there. Uh, but Naval, when it's talking about this in Scripture, it's talking about, uh, it's just a reference, a colloquial expression for your, your body. That's um, it's just a colloquial expression that the Hebrew people use, so don't be confused. That's why it's translated flesh. And then refreshment is also a Hebrew literal translation is this. You'll see it come up behind me. Medicine. Medicine to your bones. So if you're one who thinks like me, as you get older in life, more aches and pains come. Some of you feel that right now. If you want to have healing to your body, and medicine or refreshment to your bones, then don't try to be wise in your own eyes. Turn away from evil. It might not make sense to you, but it is brilliant. And what God is saying is, let God be your therapy. I want to point out to you some interesting Hebrew words. You'll see them come up behind me one at a time. Here's the first one. It's translated regret, repent, feel remorse, change one's mind. These, these are Hebrew words come up through uh, the, New, the Old Testament. Second one is here. It's translated repent or regret. Here's the next one. Repent, regret, have compassion, be consoled, grieve, pity. The next one, back down, recant, back up, take back, back out of, repent. And then the last Hebrew word is here, return, go back, come back, revert, repeat, repent. Did you notice anything that's similar in every single one of these Hebrew words? Repent. Some of us teach children, repent means to turn around. And that's because the Hebrew definition sometimes does mean turn around. The New Testament means change your mind. That's what repent means. 
But here, the word that is used most of the time in Proverbs is this last one. You'll see a box come up. And the way you say that is shubu. And a great translation is repent, but maybe a better one is even return. The idea is we are supposed to return to the Lord or turn away from evil. This idea of being wise in your own eyes, don't be wise in your own eyes. I want to take you back to a concept that we should have grabbed when we were uh, talking about a passage in Ecclesiastes a couple of weeks ago. What I'd like to show you is a man and a woman in a conversation. I'd like to show you because it appears that the man is the one doing the talking at this point in time in the conversation. So uh, in the form of an illustration, we have, look at this, you'll see it come up behind me. There's a his words are getting to her. You see that? Now, while he's doing this, I want to give you another part of the illustration. Now, I'm going to put earmuffs on him. There you go. Because while you're talking, you are not listening. It's not rocket science. We already know this. Keep that in mind. While you're talking, you are not listening. In fact, many of us, even if we are not talking while somebody else is talking, we're thinking about what we're going to say next, so we really aren't listening. So maybe you have earmuffs on more often than just when you're talking. But let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verses 12 to 14 in the message. This is a, it's a translation from one guy, so we'll call it a paraphrase. The words of a wise person are gracious. The talk of a fool self-destructs. He starts out talking nonsense and ends up spouting insanity and evil. Fools talk way too much. Chattering stuff they know nothing about. Let's pay attention to that last part again. We did this a few weeks back. Fools talk way too much. Chattering stuff they know nothing about. Solomon just reminded us of this kind of teaching. Do not be wise in your own eyes. He continues in this cadence of a song of a proverb in Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. <clears throat> this concept is a brilliant concept taught earlier in the Old Testament, reiterated at the end of the Old Testament, and validated by Jesus in the New Testament. This idea of honoring the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce, and so you will have abundant blessings. The idea is we don't give God our leftovers. When you receive your paycheck, and some people don't even understand this. Some people think that, you know, when I give to God, some people actually don't, they don't know. So they think, okay, do I, do I tithe off of my gross or my net? And the fact that people have to ask that means that they don't understand this concept of giving of the first fruits. You are supposed to give off the top of your best. If you have a bunch of sheep, or a bunch of cattle, and that's what you're dealing with instead of 
money in a bank and you're going to give to God the first fruits, you would give your best, the top one, the very, very best that could provide you the most money. You could make the most money on that sheep or the most money on, on that cow. Well, you give your best one to God off the top. That's the idea of first fruits. That's what that means. You, you may be having a crop that's coming up and you're for the first crop that comes up, the other one's coming up a couple of weeks later. You say, I don't know, what if, what if there's some sort of a, a storm and these don't finish coming up? You still give of your best to God and trust that he will take care of you. That's the concept of the first fruits. Read your Old Testaments and you'll learn it. In the last part of the Old Testament, I alluded to earlier, we hear this in Malachi, you hear this brought up often, and people read it to you. I'll read it to you now. Malachi chapter 3, starting with verse 8. Will, a, will man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby... Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. It continues and talks about how he will thwart the pestilence. He will stop bad things from happen happening to your crops. And you think, well, I'm not a farmer. How does this work? Well, the way this works is you... Give of your first fruits off the top. As soon as you get your paycheck before taxes, you tithe off of that and you write your check. That's what you're supposed to do. And as you do this, and if you don't know, we're not a church that checks this. We don't ask to know, we don't know your income. We don't ask for it. There are churches that do this. They think they're supposed to police people's giving. Guess what? Our New Testaments tell us, no, 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 no. You're not supposed to give out a compulsion but with a cheerful heart. So no church or individual should force you to give or compel you to give. That's between you and God. So, so don't think I have an agenda because I don't. I'm just telling you this is what we're going through the Bible. It says it in Proverbs. It is substantiated in Malachi. So I read it to you. But how does this work if I'm not a farmer? You give off of the top. And what happens is he says, test me in this. You'll be blessed. You will have abundance. You're 90% will go further than your 100% would have. And one of those ways he illustrates, as you read in Malachi, is you, he will thwart these things that cause you to struggle more. In other words, the pestilence, they won't come and destroy your crops as, if, as they would have possibly parts of your crops if you hadn't tithed. And I, I'm not a farmer, I still don't get it. Okay, so less flat tires unexpectedly, less medical bills you weren't expecting, those kinds of things. God will bless you and he will protect you. That's what the scripture says. It's not something I'm making up. It's right there. Read the rest of Malachi and you'll see. Continuing in our text, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, the final part of the cadence. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. 
there's probably no better way to understand this part of Proverbs than to go to the New Testament quote that absorbs it. And right after the New Testament absorbs it and it speaks it, this is what follows in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 and on. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. You should read the King James. It's harsh. Verse 9, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? The concept here in this first part I'm reading in Hebrews chapter 12 is very painfully clear. If you did not receive discipline from your fathers, you are considered illegitimate. In other words, your father didn't father you. And it continues. For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he, meaning God, disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Some of us, we have a little bit of confusing, confusion in this whole subject matter because maybe we had an absent father who wasn't disciplining us. And by the way, you can still have a father who's present, who's not disciplining you. He's an absent father. That's what this is saying. You're, you're illegitimate if your father didn't discipline you. And we live in a world now where we've, we've wrapped our emotions around the whole subject so much that what ends up happening is, is when discipline is happening, we back off because it's painful for everybody. And it says it's painful. If you're the parent, it's painful for you. Mother or father, grandmother, grandfather, if you're parenting a child and you have to initiate discipline, it does not feel good. It feels horrible. It feels like you're being mean. But God's saying it has to happen or your children are not being parented. And you wonder why the world is in the condition it's in today? We have so many adults who were not disciplined, and then they go to work and don't know how to work. In fact, we have an epidemic in our country right now. People don't want to work. Why? God tells us right here in Scripture, it doesn't feel good when there's discipline. And it's not specific. It doesn't feel good to the parents. It doesn't feel good to the one being disciplined. Never feels good to the one who's being disciplined. It doesn't feel good as a child to be told, no, you can't. You're on restriction or whatever the punishment is. It doesn't feel good to be disciplined by a parent. It doesn't feel good to be told, no, here are the rules. You broke the rules and now you're going to face consequences. It doesn't feel good. But I'm telling you, as somebody who works in a prison, this is a major problem. The lack of consequences. We reward 
way more than we give consequences. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but in this particular state, when you go to a prison, you not only get all the things you know about, you get free health care, you get free lodging, free food, you, you get a free gym membership, you know, you also get a tablet handed to you with video games and music and apps and all that. Everybody. That's a new thing. Yeah, you know, I have my personal opinion about why we would invest this kind of money in giving tablets to every incarcerated individual in our state. And trust me, you think, well, not, about, not the people in solitary confinement. You, you seriously don't know what's going on, do you? Why would we do this? Why would we just hand out tablets like they're candy? Because when you get somebody in front of a screen, it's a whole lot easier to get them to be compliant because they're very much undeveloping their brains. They're very much just wrapped up in this tablet all the time instead of trying to hurt somebody or pass drugs to somebody or whatever they normally would do. Get them on that tablet and start that addiction and we can control people. If you don't think that putting a screen in front of people all the time is about control, you might want to look a little closer at what's going on in your own home. Our Father in Heaven disciplines us similarly. And it doesn't feel good when you're going through it. He treats you as a son when you're being punished and when you're being disciplined. It doesn't feel good when you're going through this difficulty in life, but he's training you for something. He's preparing you for something. And some of us have have lived long enough and we know, oh my goodness, that's what that was all about. I went through all that so I could learn this so that now I could navigate this issue in my adult children's lives or and what we're going through right now. That's what that was. God taught me something through all of that. And I can help others not have to go through that because I learned. He disciplined me. My Father loves me. You understand God's connection here. If you have a loving parent, that parent will discipline. So back to a slide we've seen a couple of times. Proverbs 3, 1 to 12, that's the text. Title of the message, Who Can Anyone Trust Anymore? It's a question. We know the answer because we were given it, the Father. Another word you might want to throw up there, God. (laughs) And, And that would include the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. You can trust God. Now let's break it down into authentic intelligence as opposed to artificial. And I want to have a cross up on the screen because I don't want you to forget that the Lord absolutely is Jesus Christ. You see the cross up there? Here we go. Five things. What we've learned today. Wise ones will adhere to God's teachings and commandments. Second, unfailing love and faithfulness will bless God, others, and us. 
The third thing, good listening requires us to stop talking. And I would take it a step further, and it requires us to stop thinking about what we're going to say before we say it while they're still talking. I just didn't want to write all that out. Fourth, biblical tithes and offerings bring blessings and protections. And if you don't believe that, read Malachi 3 again and read Proverbs, the beginning of chapter 3 again as well. And the fifth thing, Godly discipline is necessary and loving, but doesn't feel like it in the moment. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you as your children, wanting to please you in the way we live our lives, so that you will be blessed, others will be blessed, and we will as well. So God, show us the way. Continue to teach us through your discipline so that we will know you're a loving Father. Help us through life's journey, even as we struggle and even as we don't like the discipline. Guide us. In Jesus' name, amen.